Hello, everybody, and welcome to Edge Rush, the Hammer Betting Network's breakdown of every single game on the NFL slate for this upcoming week. Of course, we are in week 10, so we're going to be breaking down everything from the Falcons at the Panthers on Thursday, all the way through the Philadelphia Eagles hosting the Washington Commanders on Monday Night Football. My name is Eric Pauly, and I am your host. You can find me on Twitter at Slime Action. And as always on the Edge Rush show, I am pleased to be with the panelists, professional sports better, Hitman. Hitman, how are you? How are you feeling today? Pretty good. Um, So-so week last week. But um, ready to uh, try to try to pull the show along without TA, the two of us. So let's let's see. Let's uh, hope that it could provide uh, close to as much value as the previous weeks. Yeah, we'll certainly be missing TA. Of course, he drops things and nuggets that are invaluable for sports betters going into that week. But uh, we'll do our best to make do without him. We miss you, TA. So we're going to go right into it. Thursday Night Football, we have the Carolina Panthers hosting the Atlanta Falcons. The spread is sitting actually now come down a little bit. A lot of Atlanta minus two and a halfs out there. Total sitting around 42 and a half. We're talking about an Atlanta Falcons team where the game literally slipped out of their hands last weekend. That victory with that fumble, that was one of the craziest plays that you'll ever see. Play you really can't make up. And they're going to Carolina to take on the Panthers where they finally came back to earth last week, getting absolutely kind of demolished by the Bengals in Cincinnati. Of course, these two teams played in week eight in that crazy close game that went to overtime with the two missed kicks, the DJ Moore helmet, all that nonsense. But they're playing again Thursday night football. Talk to me, Hitman. Where are you looking to find some value in this game? So I did bet the under 43. It was partly due to the weather. There's some reports that there could be 20 to 30 mile per hour gusts. And usually that's kind of the range where the weather is bad enough that it will start affecting the pass games. And let's be honest, these two teams, with the, the way their pass games have performed this season, they really – it's definitely going to – even in perfect conditions, these haven't been really explosive passing offenses. And then add into the fact that both teams want to be run heavy. I mean, we know that the Falcons are going to run the ball – uh, an extremely high rate. I mean, for God's sake, their quarterbacks over under completions this week is 13 and a half. And they just witnessed what happened to the Panthers last week against Joe Mixon. Now the Panthers run defense hasn't been that bad this year, but you would have to think that based off of last week, Atlanta is going to stick with that run heavy game plan. And then you look at it from the Panthers perspective. I mean, PJ Walker, that, that that stat line that he had last week, it had to have been one of the worst half stat lines that I've seen in a long time. And I know that the Falcons do have secondary issues, but again, the potential rain, potential wind, it, it could help them in this matchup a little bit. So, so you'd have to think that – I think that this under has a little bit of value. Still at the 42-and-a-half, down to 42. Yeah, so certainly some with the wind, as we know, or, or if you don't know, now you know, is one of the biggest, if not the biggest weather condition factor for over under betting. And again, like Hitman mentioned, we're talking about Atlanta Falcons offense that runs the ball 58.48% of the time so far this season. So that's certainly where they focus their offense on. Hitman, with the wind, any props you're looking at or are you kind of sticking just to that under in the total for the whole game? Yeah, a lot of the passing props got hit. Um, PJ Walker's opening line has dropped 10 yards since it opened. I was looking at that 
but it, it's more of a situation probably with a lot of these passing game props. I'm probably going to, because the numbers are so low already, I'm probably just going to wait and see to how bad this weather does end up materializing to be. But on a game where I already was leaning towards the under to begin with, that just the added element of the wind and and rain, I think is um, definitely going to help this total. And that's what ended up uh, pushing me to the edge as far as uh, playing this game under. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I did a breakdown of this game myself actually written and uh, I was looking at the under myself too. I'm sure to, I guess, a novice fan, they would look at that ex- offensive outburst that happened again week eight between these two teams. But the Falcons are dealing with a ton of injuries to the secondary in that matchup. And given the way these two offenses like to run the football, I don't think it's uh, safe to assume that those high-scoring outbursts are really what these two teams are made of. Of course, the Falcons have been good on offense this season, but they have certainly regressed as the season has gone on, especially defensively. So, We're going to be looking at the under in that Falcons-Panthers game. And now we're going to head over across the pond to Germany. We have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Seattle Seahawks playing a game in Munich, Germany. Very exciting for the NFL to kind of reach this German market. From what I read, uh, Germany is a huge fan of of the National Football League, so it's great to see us expanding. But going into this game, the Buccaneers, two-and-a-half-point favorites. Total at 44 and a half. We have the Buccaneers coming off a win, but a very ugly one against the Rams, while the Seattle Seahawks just keep proving everybody wrong. And not just, you know, by winning, but by playing fantastic football, currently fifth in the NFL in total DVOA. But looking at the Buccaneers this season, it's hard to imagine that this game is not a must win for for Tampa Bay. It, It is a must win for Tampa Bay. Hitman, talk to me across the pond in Germany. What are you looking at? I, I like the Seahawks plus the three. And it's funny because I teased Seattle when they were two and a half up to eight and a half. And part of my logic on teasing them was I was saying, you know, th- this line isn't going to get to three. I would be stunned because obviously uh, when, when you're betting at the level that I'm betting at, I have a lot of connections. I share a lot of ideas with other people. We bounce power ratings off each other. We bounce uh, games we like off to each other, each other, and a lot of guys I was talking to was saying like, I'm not so sure that Seattle shouldn't be favored in this game. Mm-hmm. And what pushed Tampa up is they opened in this game minus one, and there was some influential release releases on the Bucks moved them from one, one and a half to two and a half, and then there was another release today from an influential um, pick seller that moved it from two and a half to three. And I just don't see what these people are seeing uh, on it. I mean, I made the game closer to pick them than I did to three. Um, I know there's talk about, well, I know Seattle's year-to-date stats are better than Tampa's, but Tampa has the better roster. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, how sure of that are we right now? I mean, you look the Seahawks' offensive line might be pretty close to the Tampa offensive line, which hasn't impressed anybody. Weapons, I mean, Godwin and Evans, pretty comparable to DK Metcalf and um, Tyler Lockett. Seattle could run the ball significantly better. And yes, I know Tom Brady is better than Geno Smith, but Geno Smith isn't a scrub no more. And I actually think that Geno Smith is legit as far as at least being an average starting quarterback going forward. And you also look at the Seattle defense. I mean, I know their personnel is not great, but they've been playing really well. And the Bucks defense, they, they've lost Shaq Barrett. Their defense has been underachieving. And then I know the other argument against Seattle is, well, their schedule 
they haven't beat nobody yet. Their schedule hasn't been that hard. I mean, the Buccaneers lost outright to the Panthers and the Steelers. <laughs> so, and they should have lost outright to the Rams last week. So, and the Falcons, if you that uh, pass interference, I gave them the drive, if you remember. Yeah, I mean, that was a game that they did dominate early and they kind of let them back in the game. But it, exactly. I mean, the Bucs have just not been impressive this entire season. I think that this line should be closer to pick them than plus three. And the reason it has moved is because of these releases from sharp guys. And these guys win that are releasing Tampa, but it's one of the, the games, one of the rare games. I don't see what they're seeing on this one. And I would expect that this line does not close three. So if you like the three, I would grab Seattle now. Yeah, I totally agreed to grab Seattle there. I was shocked to see it go back to three, two. Cause I did my notes earlier today. It was sitting two and a half. And I thought that that was, I guess somewhat fair, but I'm totally seeing what you're seeing in terms of, yes, Seattle is, I guess, overperforming. But if you actually break down their roster, the way their defense is playing, Geno Smith, those two rookie tackles, of course, Ken Walker, they have a they have a good team. They should not be as big underdogs in this game as in three points. I'm going to agree with you there. But, of course, we will see how that line ends up developing as we get closer to kickoff in Germany. But now we're going to head to a game between two uh, NFC North teams, the Detroit Lions heading to Chicago to take on the Bears. Right now, this line is sitting at Chicago minus three. I'm sure some two and a halfs out there, a total of 48.5. I mean, the Lions are coming off a Super Bowl victory last weekend against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, That was a huge game for Detroit. Those two Aaron Rodgers turnovers in the red zone actually really changed the complexity of that game because Green Bay, if they would have converted any of those two, uh, might have you know came out with a win, even though it would have been uninspiring regardless. But the Chicago Bears are finally playing toward Justin Fields' strength, which I think is a great development for him and just the sport in general, considering that while he clearly has his issues as a passer, he is obviously a top-tier athlete. Bears' defense, of course, not as good anymore after the trade of Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn. The Lions' defense never has been good. I'm sure it won't be good. Uh, talk to me now here. What are, you, what are you hearing and what are you seeing about this game? I bet Chicago minus two and a half. And you, you know what? I, I never thought I would have mentioned this at any point this season. But over the last three weeks, the team that's scoring the highest on the highest percent of drives is the Chicago Bears. And they didn't do it against a schedule full of like Detroit Lions level defenses. They did it against Dallas's defense, New England's. And Miami, that's a struggling defense. But the other two are solid defenses, specifically Dallas's. So it's been super impressive what they've done. And it's just hard to to play defense against these teams that are running the quarterbacks at, at the level that the Bears are running Justin Fields at right now. And it seems like they found an offense that works for them. So obviously we know this Lions defense is probably the worst in the NFL. It's a really good matchup for this Bears offense. And then look at the Lions offense. People are thinking about them as this explosive offense because of what they were earlier in the season, but they've lost TJ Hawkinson. They've lost Josh Reynolds. They've lost DJ Chark. They've essentially lost DeAndre Swift because they put him out for 10 snaps a game Mm -hmm. and he just either gets re-injured or isn't effective for them because they haven't been letting him heal from his injury. So it's a, the Lions offense is not the same on the road. This year, they they did score 24 points against the Vikings earlier in the season, but in their most two most recent road games, seven points against Dallas, zero points at New England. And it's going to be 
35 degrees is the early temperature. So usually that's troubling for a dome team to begin with, that they're going out in those elements. But let's add, into the, let's add to the fact that Jared Goff, going back to his Rams days, has been an almost completely ineffective cold weather quarterback. And I don't have the stats in front of me, but when the temperature does dip into the 30s, even the 40s, I think it's been for him, his level of play has tailed significantly. So I think that we have a big-time plus matchup for the Bears offense. Bears defense, I know that they're, a, they're not a good unit, but this Lions offense has not been playing well either. Plus you have the fact, like I just said, games in Chicago, dome team going outside really um, – strengthens my case for Chicago, I think, in this instance. So I like the Bears minus two and a half. Yeah, and I broke this game down on another show this week as well, and I'm reading it the same way you are. I really do like the Bears minus two and a half. I am not impressed with Detroit's offense as I was at one point earlier this season. And like you said, the dome factor is certainly gigantic. The golf cold weather factor is certainly something to keep in consideration as well. Um, while I have you on this game, though, talk to me. Justin Fields' recent success. How sustainable do you think it is um, just in terms of maybe the end of for the rest of the season? I mean, it's going to be sustainable in certain matchups. If he doesn't fall behind and they can continue to run this offense where they're running the read option, they're running him on a lot of design quarterback runs, they can continue to have success. Now, I think where they're going to have a lack of success is when they get into a game where Justin Fields can't run the ball. And a lot of times that happens when you get behind in games, if you get down 14, 17, it has to become a drop back pass game. That's when Chicago is not going to have much success because he's mm-hmm. still really struggling as a thrower. But in a game like this, where your favorites, um, we're not anticipating that the lions are going to get out to some huge lead and make them throw from behind. I think the fields can continue to have success. Yeah, I certainly agree there. Drop back passing has clearly been Justin Fields. Uh, he, didn't really do that great in college. He has not done that whatsoever in the NFL. So if he can keep running, we'll see. But, of course, can't be running the football too often if you are falling behind in games. So certainly something to monitor for the rest of the season as his ascension is definitely fun to watch because, again, he is a top-tier athlete at the very least. But now we're going to head to Arrowhead Stadium. The Jacksonville Jaguars headed to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Right now looking at the line, KC minus 9.5, total 15.5, and – This Jacksonville Jaguars team, I mean, they had a huge win last week, down 17 at home against the Raiders. After they came home from that London trip, so I'm sure that team was exhausted, but they came together, they persevered, and this is a team that at times looks like they're at least a, you know, fringe playoff team. Other times, look like the Jacksonville Jaguars of old. And looking at KC, they're coming off that tough win against Vrabel and the Titans. They did pull it off because Patrick Mahomes is, well, of course, Patrick Mahomes. Nine and a half points seems like a lot, but at the same time, I certainly can see why KC is as big as a favorite over Jacksonville, who has actually played in a bunch of very close games this season. Do you think nine and a half is a little bit overpriced, or do you think that uh, no, Kansas City is the right side here? It's probably about right. I mean, it could look towards a seven-point teaser where you get the Chiefs down from nine and a half to, to two and a half, maybe pair it with a game where a team like the Steelers are getting one and a half, move them up to eight and a half, which is now a big time key number in teasers is, is that minus eight and a half, or excuse me, that plus eight and a half of more teams going for two. Mm-hmm. But um, I think, I think it's pretty much accurate. You know, it's funny, the chiefs 
have really not been that successful at home this year against the spread. They, they failed to cover, cover against Buffalo. They failed to cover against the Titans, failed to cover against the Raiders, and they failed to cover against the Chargers. So how often are we hearing about the Chiefs being 0-4 ATS at home? That hasn't been often with, with the type of home field advantage they have. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, for me, there, there's not much on this one. I'd probably make it close to what the number is. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Looking at this game, it's kind of something I don't want really any part of. Are there any props you're looking at, team tools, anything like that, or just kind of a game where, of course, you don't have to bet every game on the board, so you're just going to leave this one alone mostly? Yeah, um, Travis Etienne receiving maybe worth a look. Um, his receiving, it's funny because when he came out of uh, Clemson, he was thought of like, all right, this is going to be like an Alvin Kamara type player in the passing game. And his receiving numbers have not been much of anything in the past few weeks. And I don't, it's not because of a lack of ability in the receiving game. It's just, I guess, whatever, for whatever reason, they haven't been using him as much or the game flow is not dictated using him in that compartment, but the chiefs are the worst defense in the NFL, as far as giving up receptions and receiving yards to opposing running backs. And we know that ETN is capable of doing it and that the game flow could potentially be a negative game script for Jacksonville, which means more throwing from behind. So that could potentially be worth a look, but not many prop lines out right now. So it really depends on what the number ends up coming in on that. Got you. Certainly need to keep an eye on what the opening lines for these props are to find some value. Of course, you can speculate, make your own numbers, and go from there. But uh, without much information there, hard to make a call. But certainly something I'll be keeping my eye on is ETN's receiving props, uh, considering, like you said, Kansas City struggling against receivers coming out of the backfield. But now we're going to head to beautiful Miami Gardens, Florida, where the Cleveland Browns head to take on the Miami Dolphins. Right now, seeing a lot of Miami minus three and a half total of 48 and a half. Of course, the uh, the Dolphins are coming off that win against the Bears, but it seems like the Dolphins have kind of just been beating up on some bad teams. Of course, they beat, I wouldn't even say beating up, but getting by for some bad teams. Of course, they beat the Bills, but uh, this Miami team, I feel like still leaves a little bit to be desired, though they have played well so far this season. Cleveland's coming off a bye, and this team has been a mixed bag all year. Their offense has been relatively very, very good, mostly for this season, but that defense has kind of been holding them behind or their inability to kind of win those close type of games. Um, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? Is there anywhere you're looking to find some value here? I made, I made the game on the number. Um, I thought the over was a, a little interesting. Um, Denzel Ward is in the concussion protocol. We don't know if he's going to be available for this game. And that would obviously be a huge problem against probably the best wide receiver duo in the NFL and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. And remember, this has been a Browns defense that is underachieved. I know they had a really dominant game their last time out against the Bengals, but they were really underachieving in some games prior to that. So if, if Denzel Ward's not 100%, I think that would obviously greatly benefit Miami. And then Jacoby Brissett, I mean, for all the crap he's been getting, he's put together some pretty good games for the Browns. Definitely has exceeded expectations this year. I mean, look, even last year, 17 of tw- or last week against the Bengals, 17 of 22 for 278 yards. And this is a Miami defense that is letting 
everybody go up and down the field on them. I mean, and we just talked about the Lions offense, how they haven't had been haven't been having much success recently. Who was the one defense that the Lions were able to go up and down the field on in the last four weeks? So in the last four weeks, they scored 15 against Green Bay, six against Dallas, zero against the Patriots. That's 21 points combined in three games. They played Miami. They scored 27 points in the first half of that game. Obviously, they got shut out for the second half. But it's a Dolphins defense that until they get some of their guys back, like Byron Jones, I think they're probably going to continue to struggle. So it's not a play of mine, but I did lean towards the over in this game. Yeah, and it's pretty um, pretty clear as to why you would feel that way. I mean, at first glance, I would I would think the same way as well, given these two high-powered offenses that don't really play much defense. Of course, uh, game scripts can dictate how things go, and it's not as simple as that. Good offenses, bad defense, take the over. But um, in a nutshell, there certainly might be some value there considering the injury to Denzel Ward, both of these defenses underperforming, and both of these offenses performing at a great clip. But now we're going to head to East Rutherford, New Jersey. The Houston Texans headed to take on the New York Giants. So this actually opened at New York Giants minus six and a half, but now I'm seeing some Giants minus five at some shops, total 40 and a half. Of course, the New York Giants, I mean, for whatever reason, you could attribute their success, I would say, mostly to coaching, but they're clearly one of the biggest surprises of the season coming off the bye week. Houston coming off that short week against that Thursday night game against the Eagles hoping to get some of their weapons back. But I've actually saw earlier today that Damian Pierce, their star rookie running back, was seen on the injury report. So unsure about his status on Sunday would certainly be a big loss for Houston. But again, the Texans are kind of looking like a disaster. Lovey Smith not looking like a great coach in the NFL anymore whatsoever, if he ever really even was that great of a coach. You know, the line moving from six and a half to five, clearly indicative of something. Hitman, talk to me. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, there was a release on the Texans, which moved this line down. Um, It's one of those games, like, I feel like if you're going to bet Houston, you don't have many positive things to say about them. And it's more (laughs) of a a handicap against the Giants laying this type of number. And I do understand it because the Giants just really are not built to win by margin. They just don't have the talent level currently on their roster to be beating teams by margin. They're going to win by not making mistakes, taking care of the ball. And typically that doesn't lead to explosive offensive performances, which you need to cover five, six point lines. So I would lean towards Houston as well in this one at the, at the current market mm-hmm. probably ends up being a pass. Uh, I think that at the six and a half, seven, you can make a, a better case that there was some more value on just not taking the Giants to, to win by this much. But now that it's come down, it, it ends up being a pass. But honestly, the Giants against anybody, I really don't want to trust to win by four points or more. And mm-hmm. they're just not the type of team that is going to win by margin many times, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So, yeah, I mean, lean the Houston at current market, but it's probably going to end up being a complete pass for me. Yeah, and looking at the market now, Circa Las Vegas hanging a four and a half as well as DraftKings now. So that number is definitely clearly coming down. Any value in teasing up Houston to a ten and a half in a six point teaser, considering that sharp groups have, you know, given this player as a release and that obviously they like six and a half. I'm sure they would like ten and a half. Any value there, or is that something you wouldn't even look to either? 
No, I mean, if you're going to be teasing in the NFL, it's you 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 have to tease through the three and the seven. It's just it's just a math of teasers, and you could read. There's plenty of literature on it with um, Stanford Wong's literature that will will tell you all about just the math for the probabilities behind it on why you just want to do teasers, teasing through three and seven. So you probably will never find a case where I'm doing a teaser from four and a half to 10 and a half to, you have to capture those key numbers. And the two most key numbers in football are three and seven for the teaser to have value. So th- those are going to be the only teasers that I would ever recommend playing. Gotcha. I think that was a little bit of a test. <laughs> no, but for real, stay, uh, Sharp Sports Betting by Stanford Wong, fantastic book. Like Hitman just mentioned, breaking down the math behind why teasing through that three and seven is by far the most optimal way to go about your six point teaser. So just wanted to check in and seeing if maybe the fact that the groups put this number down kind of, you know, changes that circumstance, but no, of course we're sticking with the numbers. And and remember one thing I want everybody listening to know is that if you are teasing, do not play at a shop that's making you lay more than minus minus one twenty on six point teasers. I mean, years ago, these teasers, there was a time these teasers were even money. And then they got brought up to minus 110. There's still a rare few outs that you'll be able to find minus 110 teasers at. And then a lot of shops started bringing up to 120. 120, you can still profit in from long term. Any books that are teaser gouging, making you lay 130, 140, garbage prices like that, do not give them your business on teasers. Plenty of shops that will let you lay minus 120 still on teasers. Certainly. And getting that more juice equals a higher break-even percentage, which equals a harder time for you to make money and be profitable betting teasers. Uh, I actually did have an out that gave me minus 110, except this year, unfortunately, they uh, didn't want my action. So, uh, you know, their loss. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to my life. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure you would appreciate that one. But uh, moving on to a game that I think is very interesting. I really want to hear your take. The New Orleans Saints headed to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. Obviously not a glamorous matchup by any means. The Saints right now are laying two and a half points on the road. Total sitting at 40. But the New Orleans Saints, as I spoke to uh, TA about on the day-to-day show yesterday, uh, they had two injuries that occurred during the game that are going to be potentially very big. Eric McCoy, their center, was seen in a walking boot after the game. And Marcus Davenport, the pass rusher, he tweaked something, and his status is unknown, probably unlikely for this game. I saw some rumblings that Pittsburgh might get T.J. Watt back for this game. They're coming off that bye. Uh, I'm not sure if he is playing, of course, what he means to that defense. He means probably more to any team to their defense to be added. He's that good of a player. Uh, But looking at these teams, I mean, New Orleans, with all their injuries, is clearly a little bit regressing. Pittsburgh's defense over the course of the season has progressed, and obviously Watt would be huge. I'm just going to say it out front. I feel like you can't, laying two and a half New Orleans on the road is something that, especially in an environment like Pittsburgh, something I'm not personally interested in. Talk to me, though, Hitman. What are you seeing in this game? Yeah, I could probably only play Pittsburgh. Um, the Saints are dealing with so many injuries, and now you just add Davenport and McCoy on top of that. And you add on the fact that the Steelers are probably getting back Watt in this game. And he is probably the most valuable defender in the NFL. I mean, Pittsburgh this year is bottom five in pressure rate without him on the field. And I think last year they had to have been near the top. And I know they were at the top as far as sacks went. 
last year. And right now they're toward, I think, the bottom in sacks. So, I mean, his impact is just so huge on the Steelers defense. So it's a big injury to monitor, but if he is back, I'm probably going to be closer to a pick on this game. And since we just spoke about teasers, I always say, well, you're like, oh, well, Pittsburgh's plus one and a half. You make it pick them. So that's not that much value or whatever. It's a marginal edge if you're going to bet Pittsburgh. Yes, that's true. But think about, as we just talked about teasers, think about how important that is for a teaser. That if you think a line should be pick them, but it's plus one and a half on a six-point tease. If you six-point tease a pick them game, you're up to plus six. If you, which I would never, never recommend doing, by the way, no. if you tease a plus one and a half up to plus seven and a half, that is absolutely huge. So that if, 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 um, if I do play Pittsburgh in any way in this game, it would probably end up being a teaser. Gotcha. And yes, like you just mentioned. So when I did my prep for the show earlier, we're seeing two and a half everywhere. Now we are seeing ones and one and a half everywhere with that TJ Watt news. So I guess looking more likely that he will be in that lineup. I'd give you a little fact check while you were going right there. Yes, the Pittsburgh Steelers were first in the NFL in sacks last season. Now without TJ Watt, like you said, in the bottom five in those categories. And, you know, again, just obviously stat, sacks itself as a stat doesn't, you know, show the true value. But TJ Watt is, like you said, the most valuable defensive player in the National Football League. So it would be great just as a fan to see him back in that game. But yes, that number is moving down. Could certainly close closer to PK. And um, like you said, definitely not teasing anybody to just plus six. You're not capturing that seven. So no value there whatsoever. So another game that we are taking a deep dive into, the Denver Broncos headed to Tennessee to take on the Titans. I'm seeing Tennessee minus two and a half. A very low total of 37 and a half, which uh, makes a lot of sense considering how these two teams perform offensively, especially when Malik Willis is in that starting lineup for Tennessee. But this Titans defense after that Sunday night, basically they played a triple header on defense. They must be a little bit tired. Of course, they're professional athletes. They have the time to prepare for this game because it's not like it was a short week per se. They had that Sunday night game, but I'm sure that is somewhat of a factor. Broncos have been bad all year. Um, and I just think that looking at this game, besides obviously if Tam Hill plays, making a big difference because Malik Willis's first two starts were uninspiring to say the least. But just in terms of like a coaching mismatch, Mike Vrabel shown his ability to make teams play left-handed, play his style of football that he wants to play to win, regardless of who he's facing, and is, does a great job adjusting. And he knows what this team needs to do to win. Two and a half, though, you know, against his defense, it's gonna kind of hard to see points being scored considering that low total. What are you looking at here, Hitman? Yeah, the Titans defense is playing really well. They haven't allowed more than 20 points in five straight games. And it's really been their third down defense that's been really good this season. And when you look at the Broncos offensively, it's just they're, they're one of the teams that you can envision. They put themselves in negative EV situations on first and second down they get in the third down and that gives the titans a chance to to bring out all their special packages which makes them the best third down defense in the league this year so i think that the titans defense has a pretty good matchup obviously monitor the injury for jeffrey simmons and a few other guys on this defense and then um as far as the the broncos defense their pass defense is really good. Their run defense isn't that great. That is 
not a good combo when you're facing Derrick Henry. So I do think the Titans will have some success running the ball, but you got to wait for, for what's happening with Ryan Tannehill. If you're going to play the Titans, that's going to determine where the line's going to go to. I think that the Titans probably close minus three if Tannehill's in this game. And if he's not in this game, we probably see the line around pick ish So you're really going to have to monitor the Tannehill situation. If I had to make my best educated guess, I think that Tannehill will miss this week. So do with that what you want, but it's tough for me to make a play on this game without knowing that. Yeah, certainly. Of course, a starting quarterback, if you're not sure if he'll be in the lineup, is something that uh, certainly affects your handicap. And we would always recommend waiting to hear that news. But clearly a huge drop off there. Not saying Tannehill is amazing or anything like that. But Malik Willis um, has shown that he still has some learning and some work to do uh, in that Tennessee offense. But still a very interesting game considering the, the strength of these two teams. Um, if Willis does play, though, like you mentioned, how good the Broncos pass defense is. Would you think that they would just straight up dare Willis to beat them with throwing the football and just stack that box and, you know, really just focus it on Henry? Or how do you see the game script really going if uh, Willis is starting? Yeah, of course they're going to. And I'll tell you what, if Willis does start, there might not be a more dead nuts under team in NFL history than the (laughs) the Tennessee Titans. I mean, it kind of reminds me of like my old, when I used to play Madden when I was younger, I was pretty decent at it. I was at, at, at one point I was a top hundred player in the world of Madden and I would just get bored some games and I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to play with like the Vikings, Adrian Peterson, and I'm just going to run the ball every single play. And just, I'm literally just going to try to win, not even attempting a pass. And that's kind of like how the Titans are playing with, with, with Willis at quarterback. So I'll tell you what, this total right now at 36 and a half, 37, it's telling you that Willis is more likely than not to mm-hmm. start in this game. And I wouldn't even be interested at playing the over, even at 36 and a half, if Willis <laughs> is playing in this game. Because like I said, it's the most dead nuts under team from an aspect of they are not even going to attempt to throw the ball. So you're either going to get long drives for the Titans where they score, or and you're going to get a lot of punts, which don't correlate to a lot of scoring. So. Mm-hmm. That's how I'd probably approach it if Willis does start. Yeah, especially with that rookie Ryan Stonehouse for the Titans, absolutely bombing punts. I think he's got an average of around 53 yards of punt, which is, you know, remarkable. But like you said, Jeffrey Simmons, a fantastic interior defensive lineman. Uh, his status, I guess, is questionable. But if uh, he's a he's a game changer, so it would be, you know, certainly benefit the Titans if he does suit up for this game. But a very interesting one, even if it ends up being a 10-7 to 7 type of game, uh, it still will be, you know, still should be some good football. You know, it's football. You can't hate that. But I'm also glad to know that not only are you professional sports better, but we have a professional Madden player on our hands too. But I'm sure that would be negative EV, spending your time playing Madden now and not uh, getting bets down. Yeah, I'll still play the game like every now and then. I'll put it – I still – I have – I get it every year because I feel like once I don't get it is the end of my childhood. (laughs) I'm trying to prolong that as long as possible. I'll still play like maybe like one game a week if I have time and I just get my ass absolutely handed to me. And it's tough because like I said, when I was in my college days and everything, I was uh, pretty solid at it. So <laughs> yeah, no, I think, uh, I think Hitman and I, we have to make a bet and it's not going to be on a football game. 
of real football games could be on a virtual one. We're going to get on the sticks and, and play some Madden at some point. But this game, I'm so curious to hear what you have to think. The Indianapolis Colts heading to Las Vegas. Colts owner Jim Ursay, who we've known to be somebody who is very involved with the team, makes a stunning decision to hire Jeff Saturday, their old center who has never coached in college nor professional football as their interim head coach for, of course, the rest of the season, who knows how he'll perform. But another kind of shocking hire or promotion, per se, is offense coordinator Parks Frazier. I'm pretty sure he's just 30 years old, will be calling plays for the first time in, I guess, his life in the National Football League for the Colts on Sunday, headed to Vegas. And Las Vegas, I mean, they've blown seven, three 17-point leads so far this season. Josh McDaniel seems to be over his head. Derek Carr, when his protection breaks down, is looking like the Derek Carr of old, who is just, you know, check down Charlie, throwing the ball out of bounds, scared to take that big hit. And the Raiders' defense, I mean, they're slow. They're clearly not good. They cannot really keep up, while the Indianapolis Colts' defense is definitely one of the more solid units in the league. But, I mean, just being in the Indianapolis locker room, I'm not going to pretend like I know what it's like to go through these kinds of changes, but it's hard to believe that there is any confidence in that building whatsoever. Similar with Vegas, of course, how they've blown all these leads, and um, I'm sure they would expect more of themselves this season. I don't know if you know professional betters really expected them to be that good this year, considering guesstimate the playoffs last year, but it was because they won all these close games that they're now they're blowing 17 point leads frequently this year. Talk to me. What do you think about the hiring of Saturday and the promotion of Parks Frazier? And how impactful is that going to be for this game with Las Vegas currently giving six points at home, total of 42 and a half? There's one way to play this game, and it's to play the Raiders. Now, I didn't bet the Raiders because I didn't say to bet the Raiders, but I said if you're going to bet this game, I think you can only bet the Raiders. And I think that the reason is, is because it's just really hard to quantify what this Jeff Saturday thing is worth to the line. But I will say that I'm very confident that it's not a positive. <laughs> now, maybe it's not as big of a negative as some people are trying to say it could be, but I don't think it's a positive. So it's almost a little bit of a free roll, in my opinion. Um, I made this line minus five and a half-ish. So... There's not much value at minus six again, but I think that just for maybe this week that it could be such such a negative just for one week maybe for the Colts to go through a new coach head coach midweek that hasn't been on the staff and has zero. It's not like either. It's not like you're hiring like Sean Payton in the middle of the season, you know, at least he would be a guy that has experience coaching, even though he's going into a new situation. He has five days to get accustomed to it. You're hiring a guy that's only coached at high school at the high school level. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you what, the Raiders are a strong lean of mine. I, I might end up playing them at some point this week. It's like I said, it's just hard to quantify and put a number value on what this situation is worth against the Colts because we've never seen a situation like it. But in my personal opinion, I would say that it's probably a, it's gotta be a clear negative. So for me, it's uh it's Raiders or nothing. And that's despite the fact that the Raiders are not a team I'm running to, I want to lay six points with. 
after how they've looked in the past few weeks. But if I did end up playing, it would probably just be a fade of Indy, which is a consideration at, my, at the moment for me. Certainly. And like you mentioned, just a great point, obviously, professional sports players, professional odds makers when it comes to, you know, making lines and, and putting out the odds all come down to, you know, a bunch of qualitative, but certainly quantitative factors. And the fact that this game opened at six and after the news is still sitting six goes to show not that, you know, there is no pros or cons to this move, but that that quantification of what this actually means to the number is very difficult to consider. Now, I'm actually seeing a five and a half sitting at FanDuel. Of course, FanDuel is not a sharp book by any means necessary. Are you kind of going to be waiting to see if you get a quick five and jump there? If you're going to go for the Raiders, of course, you want to get the best number. Uh, Will you settle with the six? Or, again, I know you're leaning, but like seeing this five and a half right now, is that something that's like, okay, maybe right now it's something I would hop on or it's just still not worth kind of getting in just yet? Yeah, if you're going to bet the Raiders, you would take that five and a half because it's all about asymmetric risk. Let's say, let's say an entire market is five. Let's say the market everywhere was five and a half. If it goes down a half point to five, it's not a big deal. I mean, obviously, you'd rather lay minus five than minus five and a half, but it's not as big of a deal as losing that minus six, where if it goes to five and a half to six, it's a big difference. So Certainly. if you do like Vegas, I would probably take the five and a half. And for me, it's just a game I got to think more about, but that's the direction I'm leaning in. Of course, totally agree. Obviously, as always, and if you don't know, certainly you have to be line shopping, finding the best price available for the team that you want to bet. Bet stamp, fantastic app to do that. Thank you to Rob and the rest of the crew for the bet stamp, um, for being able to find and shop lines. But looking at another game, this game, I think if you looked at thought at preseason, you probably circled your calendar, like looking to be excited about this game. But now, considering how the Green Bay Packers look, I don't know if anybody even. Packers fans are, you know, want anything to do with this team the way they look right now. Something interesting about this Dallas Cowboys Green Bay Packers game is it did open at four, but now a bunch of fives across the board. A four and a half here and there, but mostly fives, five and a halfs. Dallas come off the bye. They're rested. Their defense has really been looking like one of the top units in the league. Packers, on the other hand, coming off a loss to the Lions, simply put, must win football game. Looking at this matchup, just again before diving in like too deeply, but from a surface level, you're looking at Matt LaFleur for the Packers going against Dan Quinn, defensive coordinator of the Cowboys. That just seems like already a big mismatch there. Five points, uh, not you know, too many. So where are you looking? You think the Packers finally bounce back, or is this team really dead in the water and the Cowboys should potentially feast on this team again, especially if Aaron Jones, who is questionable, does not suit up for Green Bay this weekend? Yeah, I mean, the Green Bay injury report is just so crazy right now. I think you have to have a good idea of that Green Bay injury report that you're going to get some guys back before you look to play Green Bay in this one. Um, You have Aaron Jones with the ankle issue. Now, they say it's minor, but look at how ankle issues have affected some other players, specifically Jonathan Taylor this year, where he just keeps re-aggravating it. So it's no joke for a running back to have an ankle injury. Um, Romeo Dobbs. Out for this game, Lazard's not fully healthy. Christian Watson isn't fully healthy. <laughs> Offensive line's not fully healthy. Rashawn Gary, not healthy. Eric Stokes, <laughs> not healthy. Like, it's just such a long list for Green Bay. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, in, in my opinion, he's a little bit of a front runner where, like, if get, things are going well, 
he's he's on point and he's an MVP caliber quarterback. But when things aren't going well for Aaron Rodgers, he's really not the guy that's going to scratch and claw and fight his way back out of the hole, in my opinion. So I think that this season could go south for Green Bay pretty quick. And especially like with Aaron Rodgers, like what's one thing you never see him do? He never turns the ball over with stupid interceptions. Like, and look at what now last week, three interceptions against Detroit. I'm just not liking what I see out of Green Bay. And the injuries are so bad right now that it's it's probably a pass for, for me this game. As much as my numbers have a little bit of value on Green Bay, it's probably a pass. Yeah, no, I totally understand. Not necessarily a game I want any part of either. Um, the Packers really just uh, – you know, the injury report, like you said, is something that's so crucial. So many big players for Sean Gary out for the season, um, having an absolutely fantastic season. So hate to see that. But, you know, again, don't need to bet every single game on the board. Only when you have value. Definitely not seeing a ton of value in that Cowboys-Packers game. But this is a game where injuries now we're moving on to have really shaped this line drastically because we had one quarterback announced with the injury earlier today, a concussion for Matthew Stafford. And now Kyler Murray showing up on the injury report with a hamstring game opened at the Rams minus three total 43. Now kind of all over the place, looking at one and a half and ones now for the Rams with Murray being questionable and Stafford being questionable. But these are both teams that look abysmal so far this season, both teams that need wins certainly. So one of these teams is going to come out happy. I'm sure it's a tough game to, to, to handicap now without knowing the status of Stafford and Murray, but just looking from the Rams side with the concussion there's just no way a backup can really play well behind this Rams offensive line, the lack of weapons they have. So I'm curious to see what you think. I'm sure, again, you're going to point to we kind of have to wait and see a little bit on these injury reports. But besides, again, that quarterback mismatch, are there any other angles you're seeing uh, in this football game? Yeah, yeah, it's an impossible game to talk about because like we just talked, like you just said, Stafford with a concussion. We don't know what's going to happen with him. Kyler Murray, day-to-day with a hamstring, and he has not been a quarterback that's been very effective when playing injured in the past. So it's a tough game to talk about. Um, One thing I will say is, like, you think – everybody thinks, like, oh, I want to bet sports full-time and and replace my 9-to-5 with betting sports. Well, I'll just give you a little like days in a a guy that's betting sports full time. So I'm working all day um, on, on Wednesday, NFL prop openers start to come out at a few books. There's a full NBA slate. There's some college basketball. There's a little bit of college football today. There's um, a bunch of news happening with lines moving um, all, all that. So you're working the whole day. You're in front of the screen. It's hours news keeps breaking you keep reacting and and all that so you you're doing that 5 6 hours passes of being on the computer you finally there's a little bit of a a window where there's not much work to do take a deep breath i say you know what i'm going to go in my car and i'm going to try to get a quick 9 holes of golf and there's a <laughs> golf course 2 minutes away from where i live I could play nine there, usually in an hour. So a lot of times I'll work five, six hours, say, all right, I'm just going to get a not quick nine in just for my mental health, sanity, get out, get, see some light, you know, instead of being in the office. So I get out. I, I literally had one foot into the car and I was putting my other foot in 
and I get the alert, Matthew Stafford now in concussion protocol. <laughs> and I have to spend the next 20 minutes logging in everywhere I can saying, all right, well, where, where can I bet Arizona? Where can I bet the under? Who has a stale first half line? Are there, are there any stale quarter lines? Um, what about uh, regular season wins? Is there any looking at all the markets? You don't even get a minute to relax. Ended up not even golfing. everybody thinks it's so much fun and everything and yeah it does have its good moments and everything but it's a grind and the news literally never stops and then it's funny because right after the concussion stuff happens then you get the alert oh kyler murray's not practicing now he's day-to-day with a hamstring injury so when you're following this news full-time it's just a a never-ending grind and it's funny you bring up that story because I am not a professional sports better. However, the way that my job is currently set up, I'm able to have access to an odd screen at all times. I work remotely. I have my screen set up. So I'm always paying attention to news as I can, shopping around as I as I best can myself. And I was talking to our producer, Jason, before the show. We were talking about how uh, when Matt the Colts made the decision to bench Matt Ryan was the one hour I decided, all right, I'm going to go to the gym and, you know, get some of the mental health things going. And that's the one time that that news breaks and be able to miss a line on that commander's um, Colts game. But so it's funny you bring it up now, but uh, no, it certainly sounds like uh, nine holes was, was needed. And I'm sorry that it didn't come into fruition for you there. <laughs> but now we're headed to the first of the two primetime games, Sunday night football, the Los Angeles Chargers head to San Francisco, take on the 49ers. San Francisco sitting minus seven, total 45 and a half. Chargers coming out with that win against the Falcons, very uninspiring win, but also they had a bunch of injuries to their top two weapons there. Um, also for the Chargers side, very curious to see if Debo Samuel suits up for this game. I think this is a matchup where San Francisco kind of definitely matches up well in theory, but of course we saw what Mahomes and the Chiefs did to them in San Francisco, not saying the Chargers are the Chiefs or Herbert is Mahomes. But, you know, I'm kind of thinking that if they kind of just stick to their zone covers that they play, they don't try to do something different. Maybe seven points is too many, but I'm very curious of your take on this matchup. Yeah, Justin Herbert hasn't been the same quarterback for a few weeks. Um, since week five, he's 19th in EPA per dropback. He's averaging <laughs> 5.4 yards per pass attempt. That just is really not good. And, I mean, I still think that Herbert's a hell of a talent and a good player, but he just doesn't have the, the supporting cast right now. You have the Rashawn Slater injury, obviously. You have their other tackle, I believe, is hurt. Right now, Keenan Allen and Mike Mike Williams will be out. Keenan Allen, I probably I think that he's going to be out in this game. He just doesn't have the guys right now. Mm-hmm. And you look defensively, I mean, the Chargers are allowing 5.7 yards per carry this year. It's on pace to be the worst for a team since 2000. Wow. They And they just lost Austin Johnson, who's their number one in run-stop uh, run win rate on the team. So you have a historically bad run defense that just lost their top run stopper. And the Niners, we know Kyle Shanahan is the master of the run game, especially schematically. And now you have Christian McCaffrey on this team. So I think that the Niners are going to have a ton of success on the ground. You have a ton of success with that play action pass game. I think that their defense is probably going to get after a bad Chargers offensive line. And Herbert does not have weapons and hasn't been playing to the level that we're accustomed to seeing him play at the past few weeks. So I think that the, the, the Niners in a teaser, tease him down from seven to one is a good way to approach this game. And this, that's how I personally did approach the game. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Again, the Chargers run defense. That's something they, at least on paper, tried to address this offseason, but has definitely not been the case so far this year. So teaser angle on San Francisco is certainly something that I'd be looking at myself. Fits the criteria and um, basically take a Chargers minus two there. And hard to really argue against, especially with the injuries. Excuse me, the Niners minus two. Especially with injuries to the Chargers, not uh, something too difficult to envision happening on primetime this Sunday. But now, last but absolutely not least, especially because I am a Washington Commanders fan, so I'm very curious your takes on this matchup. But the Commanders headed to take on the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. Right now, the Eagles are laying 11 points at home, 10.5 at some shops, total at 44, 43.5 at some shops. Washington coming off that late loss to the Vikings where a penalty on a field goal gave the Vikings another possession that they're able to then capitalize and win on a field goal. Uh, Philly coming off a nice long rest after that Thursday night game in Houston. The Eagles, and I was at this football game, and when I tell you that the FedEx field in Washington was 60% or maybe even 65% Eagles fans, it was a sea of green. I was sitting there with my head in my hands just watching Carson Wentz take sack after sack. And I actually had a prize pick. I'm not a huge fan of, of utilizing that, but they had the Eagles with two sacks for the game was the over-under. I had that mixed with something else, and they had three sacks, I think, in the first series of the game. Um, of course, Washington's offensive line not going to be a match for the Eagles' defensive line. Of course, Taylor Heineke has his issues. Jalen Hurts playing like an MVP, and this team is just loaded top to bottom. It's 11 too many points, though, or are the Eagles really just two scores better than Washington? No questions asked. It's probably – I hate to do this on the last game, but it's probably the game I have the absolute least on this mm-hmm. week. Um, I made I made the game on the number. Um, just some general notes I could add. The, the Eagles' run defense has really struggled without Jordan Davis this year. So that's just one thing to keep a note of. And Damian Pierce really ran all over them in that Thursday night game. And I know that Washington does – try to at least run the ball and stay pretty balanced with um, Robinson and uh, and Gibson. But I, I don't got much on this game. You're, you're, you're the Washington fan. So do you got anything you could add as far as a, a lean? Yeah, so after what I saw uh, in person, that the dismantling of our team, uh, of course, Wentz is different from Heineke due to simply the lack of mobility from Carson Wentz. Jordan Davis looks like you mentioned this huge, but there's nothing that I am eyeing. And I'm a guy, certainly as a Commanders fan, I will gladly bet against the Commanders when I know we're not the right spot. I'm not rushing to the to the ticket counter to place a bet on the Eagles minus 11 in this game, though I did have them in my teasers that week. So I was sitting there, drove down from New York to go to D.C. to see the game. I'm sitting there with an Eagles money line ticket and basically an Eagles, an Eagles home game, more or less, watching my team get its ass kicked, which, you know, wasn't that fun, but... I don't have anything to add, honestly, for this game either. I don't always force bet on Washington games. There's really no teaser angle here. The total, 44, I think might be – I'm looking at anything there. But, no, unfortunately, I, again, hate to do this for the last game too. And, you know, I'll very adamantly tell you I feel good about Washington this week or I feel like we're going to get the doors blown in, bet the other side. But, no, this is not a game where I'm looking to run to the counter for either of these teams, though the Eagles are certainly the better the better side here. But uh, this was an absolute blast. Hitman, do you have any closing thoughts for everybody? No, not much. I mean, I will say that this week I had some more opinions than other weeks. I mean, there's some weeks where you're looking at the board and there's just 
not much to play and winning at sides and totals in NFL is really tough. So there's some weeks you're just like, yeah, every game's on the number, but this week a little bit more of a stronger opinion. So hopefully it leads to some uh, decent results. Yeah. Hopefully it leads to a ton of success, not only for you, myself, but all of our listeners out there. We truly appreciate you. Uh, Thank you all for listening to the edge rush show. We broke down every game on the NFL week 10 slate. We'll be back next week to do the same exact thing for week 11. Um, please make sure to like, rate, and subscribe. That's the best way to help out our podcast. We truly appreciate that. For myself, Hitman, and everybody else at the Hammer Betting Network, thank you. We appreciate you. Best of luck on your bets this week. <laughs>